listener production. Feed, Play, Love with Sarah Hunstead and Dr Deb Levy. Hello and welcome to this episode of Mother Doctor Nurse. There is nothing quite so terrifying as seeing your child choking, which may be why when we start giving them solid foods, many of us are a wee bit nervous. Paediatric nurse Sarah Hunstead is a mum of two and runs CPR Kids, a first aid course for parents, so she knows all the things to avoid and how to deal with choking. And this, believe it or not, is episode 11 of our special series, Mother Doctor Nurse. Today we are coming to you live. Sarah, hello. Hello. Oh my goodness, episode 11. Where where did that time go? Uh, Look, there were a lot of conversations were had, a lot of information given out. It just, but it has whipped past. So if you're joining us live, um, I will encourage you to pop your questions below this video and we will get to as many as we can. If you're listening via the podcast, I'm sure there's going to be lots and lots of information that you will glean from other people asking questions. But let's get stuck into it because we do have a lot. Melly asks, how can you tell if a young child has aspirated food? Does it always need medical attention? And before you answer that question, I'm going to be a total Luddite and ask you to explain what it means to aspirate food. Very glad that you asked that because that was the first thing that I was going to say anyway, because it is a medical term, aspiration. And what it is, is that basically it's when you inhale food or liquid or a foreign body down into your lungs. So that's not where we want it. We don't want it there. No. Even I know that. (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely. And what it can do, it can cause difficulty breathing. It can cause infection. Um, It's basically not meant to be there. Don't want it there. So therefore, does it always need medical attention? Yes, absolutely it does. And how could you tell if a child has aspirated food? Generally, and remember, generally here, so there are always exceptions to the rule, particularly if your child has um, uh, developmental issues as well, uh, then it may not be as obvious. But if uh, your child does have a significant coughing episode when they're eating or drinking and to the point where you are really quite worried, um, that can be an indication. Um, Usually if it's just a bit of a cough and, you know, then they're fine afterwards, they're probably okay. But the signs and symptoms we need to look out for are any difficulty breathing later on down the track. So often uh, what will happen is you might notice that they start to suck in around here. They're breathing. Sorry, that doesn't help for you on the podcast, does it, when I say sucking (laughs) in around here? So if they are sucking in at the base of their neck, if they are sucking in around their ribs and around their tummy when they breathe, if they are breathing faster than usual, if they are looking unwell, if they develop a fever. So really, you're going to see the signs of a sick child with breathing problems, and that is what may indicate that they've aspirated food. In a healthy child or developmentally uh, normal, this isn't something that happens regularly, okay? So please don't freak out. 
if your child is coughing and spluttering while they're eating, it's not something that happens all the time. Yeah. And how do you fix aspirated food? Like surgery? That's a trip to the hospital. So, um, for example, I remember looking after a child who had aspirated peanut that required surgery to have that taken out. Um, I've looked after kids who've ended up with a pneumonia after aspirating liquid. So that's something as well that can happen. But with aspiration, as I said, it is not an everyday occurrence. Okay. All right. Let's go on to the next question. Steph, can a baby choke on milk? So this is another interesting one. So we often say, can they choke on a liquid? But what we're actually looking for is what we've just talked about, aspiration. So yeah, babies can aspirate. I mean, luckily enough, they're pretty smart, meaning that they've got all of these amazing mechanisms and reflexes that protect their airway. Um, and is it possible? Yes, it is possible. But, you know, certainly they are pretty amazing little creatures and often, you know, their airway reflex, all that kind of stuff that's there rather than going into the physiology of it. Just trust me, they've got these amazing mechanisms that help prevent that from happening. Uh, is it possible? Yes, it is possible that they can aspirate. So once again, it's more about knowing that those red flags to look out for if you are concerned about it. Yeah, because I was thinking there's often when babies, whether they're breastfed or bottle fed, if their flow is uh, good or maybe too good, sometimes babies can like sort of take too much in and they splutter. Yes. There's a difference between that and choking. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I was a cow, basically. I was that person who, that if I had a letdown when I was feeding my babies, I could probably hit the wall on the other side of the room. <laughs> right. My babies, the poor things, were always hosed down and yeah. they would cough and splutter and all the rest of it. They'd pull off, they'd cough, they'd be red in the face, they'd recover very quickly and then pop back on again. So, yes, absolutely, it is a possibility, um, but generally they can cope with that. And it's if something is the different to normal, so they're coughing, 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 they're not having that recovery or they, you know, they become unwell later with breathing problems, we need to seek medical help. Okay. Now our next question comes from Gracie. I find that in so many situations there are choking hazards that people are unaware of. My question is, one, your advice on how to approach this, and two, what resources can you suggest? So um, I, there was also another part to Gracie's question as well, which was that, for example, when she drops her toddler off at daycare, they've got whole grapes or well-meaning family members are actually giving those little tiny chocolate solid Easter eggs. And so how do you, uh, you know, speak to your mother-in-law or, or your great aunt or your cousin who's you know, saying, you know, they're giving these things to your kids. Well, first of all, there's some really good resources out there. Um, we have some really good blogs here at CPR Kids that can list the most common things that kids choke on and why we should be cutting up foods or not giving certain foods or objects to kids. So um, CPR Kids website on our blogs, you can absolutely have a look at that. Royal Children's Hospital Melbourne, Sydney Children's Hospital, Queensland Children's Hospital have all got really, really good fact sheets on choking. And I often find that if you are, you know, doing that whole, oh, 
Thank you so much. I love that you've got that beautiful, great platter at the two-year-old's birthday party. But I was listening to this podcast the other day and there were these two awesome ladies on there. And this one, she was a pediatric nurse, her name was Sarah. And she told me this story about how you really need to chop the grapes up into quarters because they are one of the really highest choking risks. So blame it on me. You know, mm. blame it blame it on the children's hospital fact sheets. Tell them that you love the grapes, but you really want they know, the experts know that you've got to chop them up. So try yeah. that. And it's it's all in the way that you say it, isn't it? It's like saying it in a pleasant way and it's like, Oh, here's this interesting information. Did you know that toddlers the number one choking thing for toddlers is unchopped up grapes? You know, and when you when you're saying it and laying it out like that instead of saying, Please don't choke my child with your grapes, then they're likely to take it better, correct? (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. And our next question comes from Kirsten. Why isn't the Heimlich manoeuvre recommended? Whoa, this is a good one. So the Heimlich manoeuvre is, you know, what you see in the movies. If you remember that uh, amazing scene from Mrs. Doubtfire when the guy (laughs) chokes on there, I think it's a prawn or something like that, and Robert Williams goes up and does this amazing Heimlich manoeuvre and the prawn goes flying out. That's what that is. So it's basically pressure on the abdomen, forceful pressure that uh, will hopefully force whatever object out. Now, in other countries around the world, the Heimlich manoeuvre is still used. It sometimes is called um, abdominal thrusts as well, but it's generally used in adults and children over the age of one. In Australia, the Australian Resuscitation Council recommends that you uh, don't do the Heimlich manoeuvre, that we do back blows and chest thrusts uh, because there is some evidence and some risk particularly in children, in young children, that you can cause terrible damage to the internal organs with uh, the Heimlich manoeuvre. So that is why it is not recommended. That is why it is back blows and chest thrusts that are recommended here. Okay, you know I'm going to ask you to demonstrate this now because I normally do not have the luxury of visual uh, footage. So for those of you listening via the podcast, we will have a link to the video if you would like uh, maybe go make yourself a cup of tea right now. Um, but I know you have your little baby there that you're going to show us how to do <sighs> the correct procedure. Does baby have a name? Uh, this is Annie, and Annie and I are twinning today. We obviously have the same outfit on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this. There's a CPR kids onesie. That's awesome. Of course there okay. is. Okay. So um, are there different situations where you would use the back thrust or the, what's the other one? So back blow or chest thrust. With Annie here, if she had a strong, effective cough, we would encourage her to keep coughing because if we go in to do a nice big back blow while she's got that strong, effective cough and she's having a big breath in, she could potentially inhale that further down. So strong, effective cough, we let her keep coughing and hopefully cough it out. If Annie does not have a strong, effective cough, so she's a bit... (laughs) So we don't have a big amount of air going in and out or she's silent. So there's no air moving in or out. We are going to do back blows and chest thrusts. Okay. So first of all, we're going to get her out of the high chair or whatever it is she in. And for visual purposes today, I'm going to lift her up a bit, but we would actually have her over our lap. Okay. So she would be nice and firm. I might just move. There we go. Camera a little bit. There we go. So 
we're holding her firmly on her, our lap so we don't drop her. Bottom is higher than the head, so we've got some gravity helping us here. We are going to give a back blow between the shoulder blades with the heel of our hand. We are going to give up to five of these. One, check. Two, check. Three, check. Four, check. Five, check. Obviously, if it comes out after the first one, we don't need to give all five. Now, if that hasn't worked, we're going to roll Annie over so she is on her back. Once again, bottom higher than her head. And we are going to give up to five chest thrusts. So for a small baby, we're going to use two fingers on that hard breastbone, same place as we do CPR. On a bigger baby or a toddler, we're going to use the heel of our hand. Okay. We're going to give up to five chest thrusts, and it is a short, sharp thrust. One, check. Two, check. Three, check. Four, check. Five, check. And so we keep going. We go five, five, five until either the object comes out or they become unconscious. And if they are unconscious, we are doing doctor's ABCD. And if you don't know what that is, you need to do a first aid course. You do. I need to refresh my first aid course. Now, listen, I know you've answered this question, but Lee is asking, what are the signs that they've swallowed something they shouldn't have? And I think that perhaps it's probably a good time to reiterate yeah, absolutely, because sometimes you don't know. So absolutely what I talked about before about that coughing and coughing and coughing that's different to just a normal cough, you may actually see them, particularly if they are silent, you may see them eyes open, looking scared. They may have their mouth open. They may be drooling. Uh, a toddler an or an older child may actually be clutching at their neck they could be turning blue, they could be having any of those respiratory distress symptoms we talked about. Um, and I'll, look, I'll tell you a quick story because sometimes initially you don't realise that a child is choking. I had a little girl in my house who choked on a, a segment of orange and initially I looked at her and I thought, looking a bit weird, what's going on with you? So I looked at her and then all of a sudden her eyes grew wide her her mouth was open, she was drooling, and I went, oh my gosh, you're choking. Like it literally it took a little bit for me to recognize this, and then she was leaning forward, mouth open, clutching at her neck. So I ran over, gave her back blows, came out, lucky. Oh my God, it terrifies me, the things that you've experienced <laughs> on a daily basis. I'm like, I don't know that I could handle that. Okay, uh, Renee asks, what foods are the most common choking hazards for kids under one and how can we make them safe? My four-month-old will be starting solid soons. solids soon and it gives me anxiety. Fair enough, Renee. It would give Absolutely. me anxiety too. <laughs> yeah. So some of the foods that you need to avoid in kids, anything that's kind of hard and round. So, you know, if Nana wants to give them some boiled sweets, it's a hard no. Things like, you know, whole nuts, popcorn, Things like that that are just, you know, that perfect shape to get lodged in a child's airway, that is not what we want to give them. And so that goes for your common foods such as grapes and those giant blueberries that we've got around. You don't have to withhold them from the kids. 
But what you need to do is make sure you chop them into age-appropriate pieces. So for the grapes, for example, chop them into quarters so they're not that spherical shape. Cherry tomatoes, blueberries, things like that. And also things like frankfurts and sausages. Now, what we normally do is we chop them into those lovely little circles to give the kids, but that circle is the perfect size to lodge in the child's airway. So it's much better to cut everything into long sticks and they can pick that up and gnaw on them rather than having them in those perfect little circles. I know I'm taking the questions up here from our audience, but I do want to ask about fish bones. Uh, my husband swears he choked on a fish bone as a kid and refuses to touch fish ever since. So obviously a very terrifying experience. Um, and I'm being really ignorant here, but a fish bone is very thin. So what... How what what's happening and how do you just dislodge it the same way? And so it's interesting because it's not blocking off the whole airway. It's something that, and this is something I've seen a lot in kids, is that fishbone can actually get stuck in uh, the side of the esophagus and so on. So it's something that often does need to be surgically removed. So that's why when you're going to feed your feed your child fish, you're going through it with your fingers and squishing it and really making sure that there aren't any bones in there. This next one comes from Lucy. I saw a video about balloons being a serious choking hazard. Is this true? It seems unreasonable to ban them ban them from settings with kids. You know what? If we got rid of everything that is a potential choking risk, we would just be putting our kids in a bubble. Uh, one um, of the things that CPR kids hear is we say kids – you know, need to get out and they need to explore the world. We just need to know how to patch them up afterwards and reduce unnecessary risk. Can you have balloons? Yeah, you can absolutely have balloons. Once you finish playing with them, do you need to keep them out of reach? Absolutely, yes. So a deflated balloon is definitely a choking risk because uh, it can easily be inhaled and act as a flap over the entrance to the airway. The other thing too is when a balloon has been popped, those little bits of uh, latex can actually also be a significant choking risk. So do you need to ban balloons? No. Do you need to supervise the kids when they're playing with them? Yes, you do. And clean up after because I can and just clean see up they're, they're so colourful, right? I can just see kids wanting to put that in their mouth. Yep, absolutely they do. Depending on their age. Rachel asks, are amber teething necklaces safe for my baby? I think I could answer that. <laughs> Do you no, want to? No, they're not. They're yeah. not. Are they, Sarah? They're, no, they're just they're not. not a good idea to put anything around a baby's neck. That's right. So amber teething necklaces, the evidence says that there's not enough of the anti-inflammatory properties in a necklace or the quality of that as well that would assist with teething for a start. So if you are choosing to use an amber teething necklace, first of all, what's holding it together? There, I saw some recently up at the shops that didn't have a fail-safe mechanism. So when you tugged on it, it actually stayed together because it was screwed on. And that is absolutely a choking hazard. Children have died from being strangled by an amber teething necklace. So if you choose to use one, make sure that it has a fail-safe mechanism, that if it is tugged on, that it will come off, that the beads are individually knotted on so those beads themselves don't become a choking risk, and also that you 
always, always, always remove them when the child is either in their car seat, the pram, or they're in their cot going to sleep, that they never, ever, ever sleep with them on. I would honestly, I'd prefer everybody not to use them at all. They're not recommended, but if you choose to, please minimize the risk. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to look at the efficacy as well, right? Yes, so, exactly. From Pen Pen, my toddler loves peanut butter. A friend mentioned this was a choking hazard because it can act like glue. I have never heard that. Is this true? So the way that peanut butter is awesome for a start, it is one Oh, I of, love peanut butter. Who oh, do I? I was eating it out of the jar this morning, but don't tell anyone. Especially <laughs> not in my home because they'll get cranky at me because I'm not allowed to do that. But anyway, mm. Peanut butter is great. It's one of those uh, high allergenic foods that should be introduced before the age of uh, 12 months as well. But certainly giving uh, a toddler a spoonful of peanut butter can act as a choking hazard because that big globby bit of peanut butter can be quite sticky and it can be a choking hazard. So much better get that piece of toast, spread it out thinly over the top so they still get to have their peanut butter, but just not in like a big, sticky, whiskey amount. Fair enough. Okay, our final question is, can a child choke on vomit in their sleep or mucus? My little one has coughing fits that sometimes cause her to vomit. I worry that it will happen in her sleep and she could choke. It's from Michelle. Babies, as I said before, are amazing. They are incredible that they have these reflexes and everything so you might go into your baby in the cot they've got this pile of vomit next to them but they're fine and that is why it's really really important that we put our baby to sleep on their back because that's how all these protective mechanisms come into play when we pop our baby on their tummy to sleep they are actually at a higher risk of aspirating or choking and so that's why popping them to sleep on their back actually really um, helps mitigate this risk. And so it's one of those things that if your baby is rolling developmentally, absolutely, that's fine. Let them roll onto their tummy. That's not an issue. But initially, we are always placing our baby on their back to sleep because that have, they've got amazing protective mechanisms there. For more information on that, we've got some fantastic red nose resources because they are the gurus on all things like this. So we'll definitely put that in the comments too. All right. Well, I think we've answered everyone's questions. When I say we, I mean you. Sarah, thank you so much for your time on this episode of Mother Doctor Nurse. Thank you for letting me talk about something that I love talking about so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's Sarah Hunstead. She will be back next week. So if you're watching us live, we have our final episode in this season of Mother Doctor Nurse. It will be a podcast and Sarah's going to be talking about kids and burns. So I personally have benefited from Sarah's advice on this front. Um, so Sarah's going to be answering questions about what to do if your child grabs onto something hot, a hot appliance, what to apply, when to go to emergency, all the things you need to know about burns and how to manage them. So as I mentioned, that will be via podcast. So if you have a question, you can email us at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. And we will answer those questions on the next and final episode of Mother Doctor Nurse. See you then. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, 
email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the Listener app. And don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.